Hello everyone and welcome to episode 7 of the Fenced In podcast. This week we're talking about recovery and periodization. You're here with Chris and my co-host Ben. Hello Ben. Hi, how you doing? You alright? Yeah, I'm very well. How are you doing? All good, all good. We're hoping by now we have a good solid listener base, so uh, hopefully you should know us. But if you don't, we are both GB International Foilists and actually Chris and I are student and coach. Isn't that right, Chris? <laughs> You're a great coach. Uh, he's too kind. He's too kind. He's a good student as well. So uh, Chris and I have been working together for, what is it now, probably two, three years? Yeah, I think a bit longer, actually. I think kind of closer to three or four. We certainly had our first lessons probably about five years ago. We did. And I suppose it was it's always a really interesting one because Chris and I have been friends for much longer than our kind of working relationship. And so there's always that kind of wonder whether, you know, having a close working relationship as well as a close friendship could actually um you know put any of that in jeopardy but I, I think it hasn't i like to think chris right no not at all it's brought us closer than ever which is the right way you want to go it might be a bust up down the road but hopefully nothing we can't get past yeah fingers crossed fingers crossed so how's how's your week been of training yeah it's been good it's been it's felt like a bit of a slog actually at times i'm going to put that down to motivation but also changing up what i'm doing leg days are feeling quite hard but i've got certain targets in mind so uh, on my 5k I want to get that as low as I can and be, I've been quite consistent on my 5k and been under 20 minutes for two runs in a row which is quite good you and I are talking about how to try and push those barriers and make things better you know we discovered routes with less traffic routes with fewer hills as well as when you do your run so not immediately after a leg session or the day after a leg session because it makes it so much easier to, to yeah. push through when your legs have had a few days rest so after a weekend break I think Monday morning first thing uh, how's your training been going? Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Now, it's interesting to say, you know, Chris and I were discussing strength and conditioning in last week's episode. We were talking at quite length about uh, the different aspects that go into physical training, and we were talking a lot about running. And so, hence the uh, the discussion on that and not eating directly after food and, and preparing right and, and stuff like that. So, Chris is actually uh, on tender hooks waiting for a new set of trainers, which uh, he's chomping at the bit to get. So, um, but actually, this leads us quite nicely onto kind of the idea of periodization and recovery. Chris, should we start with recovery? Is that kind of a good one to start with? Yeah, let's go for that. So I'm going to throw in the first question. What's recovery? Recovery is pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. And so to flesh it out a bit more, recovery for me can be done in many different ways, but it is the healing process, the relaxation, the mental decompression from training and competing. And, and I suppose that this is quite key for many athletes is to get recovery right. And actually, when you get it wrong, there is a lot of warning signs and there's also a huge dip in performance usually. So, you know, it's certainly Chris and I talk about being slightly older athletes. I'm, I'm 29, about to turn 30 this year. And so I would consider myself probably as, as a slightly older athlete now. My body doesn't recover like it's 21 anymore. I'd say you're in your peak. Well, he's, he's too kind. He's too kind. But I mean, Chris, do you find it? Do you find that your, your body does recover differently from when you were kind of 20 years old? It's so hard to know. I think I do so much more now than I did then. So any recovery I have actually kind of feels the same. If anything, I feel better because I do so much more stretching. You've been doing this professionally for much longer than I have. You work your training in very different ways. And I now stretch every morning, every evening. I, I train in different ways. and I do different things, whereas I didn't necessarily do that. But I didn't find that I necessarily missed it early on, if that makes sense. So I suppose 
my body probably does respond differently. It's so it's so hard to know, isn't it? Because there are so many changes in our life. You know, you train differently, you eat differently, you, you live a different lifestyle now than you did then. When you say you feel different, how do you feel? You're absolutely right there. And it's probably something I should have clarified more, which is you're right. As you get older, your body can also take a greater workload because obviously over time, the capacity to be able to train more is bigger. And actually, I was speaking to, uh, to probably both my coaches, actually, both Pavel and Graham recently about the podcast and, and what we're doing here. And, and they were saying it's quite an important factor that people listening need to understand kind of exactly where we're coming from from a training point of view. And I suppose that people that are training on a, on a regular basis, when I'm talking about a regular basis, I'm talking over kind of twice a week. If you're someone that trains once, twice a week, that's fine. That's great. And there are many, many, many bits of information you can kind of take away from this podcast. But I think that anybody training three times a week and over can really start to use this information in a real performance-based way. And, and I think that this is where recovery is key. And, and you're right. I take a big load with my training now, more though than I used to when I was kind of 20 years old. But therefore, recovery becomes almost more important and I suppose that for me waking up in the mornings there's a few more hip joints and, and, and aching muscles than there was when I was younger but then you know is that because I'm getting older or is it conversely because I've got more workload you know it, it, it is hard to tell you are right yeah absolutely and also like you mentioned before for me recovery is about giving muscles a break usually because they need to grow or they need to repair and that can be done in different ways there are different types of recovery you know, there, there's rest, which is the most obvious one. So actually giving muscles a break altogether. And sometimes that can be really helpful with just a week off or, or doing nothing. And sometimes you need that. We've spoken recently about the need for a deload week. You know, we've been in lockdown now for, I, I forget the actual number of weeks, I think kind of seven or eight weeks. Feels like that, yeah. That's for sure, yeah. yeah, it feels it feels like a while. In that time, we've been training quite consistently uh, and quite hard. Actually, about now is probably when. We need an, kind of an easier week, either way we do nothing or, we, you know, we, we change things up a little bit. But just let our bodies remember that these things can be fun and not just hard. And the other types of rest that are really handy are active rest. So working different muscle groups. So if one muscle group is tired, you can work a secondary muscle group without necessarily affecting the first one and keeping things going without, you know, going into huge levels of fatigue. And that's all about training smarter and not just harder. For example, you wouldn't do a heavy weight session on the same muscle groups every single day of the week because you wouldn't see any gains in that and you'd just be knackered. You wouldn't be able to complete it. But if you were to alternate those groups, you know, you do leg one day, core and upper body the next day then back to leg and then core and upper body you know and throw some stuff in there and it doesn't have to be those groups exactly but switching that up that can be really handy equally alternating between kind of runs or swimming as cardio is again really helpful and another type of recovery is stretching which obviously doesn't necessarily work anything and things like yoga do but stretching in itself is a sense of relief but again gives your your muscles a break to do what they need ben what do you think yeah, completely. Uh, I think you've hit a lot of good topics there on recovery. As we've mentioned to the listeners before, Chris and I always fire over a few notes to each other to make sure that we're both uh, singing from the same hymn sheet. And we, when we spoke about recovery, there were several aspects of that. You had diet, rest and sleep, active recovery. I put instruments, which I'll come back to later, and as well as kit and travel. And so there are lots of different types of recovery. It's just to kind of flesh it out a bit, diet is obviously really important. Something we touched on last week with protein shakes and even stuff that you would take during sessions and even just making sure you get your diet in at the right time. But actually that will come later because next week we are doing a uh, episode on nutrition. But And as Chris said, you know, rest and sleep is hugely important. 
actually for me, I nap a lot because it's part of my daily routine to recover. When I do a session in the morning and then I'm driving to my, my second session where I go to the club, if it's a session where I'm either coaching or I'm fencing, I still need that nap in the, you know, in the, in the afternoon. And the reason for that is because it makes me at my best for either being able to deliver my best coaching skill to the, the people I'm working with or to deliver my best performance at training. And that doesn't surprise me, really, because as you've just mentioned, you're a coach as well. And not just that, you've got many more commitments beyond just your fencing. So I'm absolutely sure that will be the case for most fencers, especially most fencers who aren't at, at an elite level. They'll be juggling their fencing and their training alongside a job or, you know, being a parent or, or at home or, or whatever the other thing is that they're doing. And so therefore, as you just said, think something like napping can be essential. Funnily enough, at the Commonwealth last year or a year and a half ago now, Keith Cook, who's one of my teammates, said he, every day he has his 23 minute nap. And 23, 23, oh, nice. 23, exactly. Set the time for 23 minutes when you put your head on the pillow. It doesn't sound like long enough, but actually you wake up feeling really refreshed. And when I came back, my wife and I started doing it. And it's amazing. Every day, I think for a few weeks or a few months, we did it and we felt fantastic. And actually, we haven't done it for a while. Now would be an ideal time. But it was really, really good. It's just just gives you that little boost in the day. And you will know about that because you're... As you said, Ben, you take naps in your car, don't you, before before the club? Yeah, I do. My little Honda Jazz, bless it. You know, it's got a pillow in there. It's got, um, it's even got a quilt for when it when it's cold in the winter. So Richard Cruz is the king of naps. This man can nap anywhere. You know, you'll often walk into Leon Paul Centre after we've we've had a, a big session, and you will find Richard almost laying in the middle of the cell. No noise can wake this man. And actually, I kind of started following his routine because it worked so well for him, and it now does me. And actually, we're a twenty-minute napper. That's the. But 20 minutes is perfect for us. And I think people have to understand that the kind of science behind that, not that I've looked extensively at the research, but basically we have a, a sleep cycle we want to avoid going into for naps. And that's if your REM sleep, your random eye movement, I think that I believe it's it's called. And if you go into that deeper cycle of your sleep, that can that can actually make you wake up feeling groggy and quite hard to uh you know, to come out of because you, you've actually interrupted the deep part of your sleep. So the, the idea of that kind of quick cat nap almost is to just refresh the brain, give the chance the whole body to shut down and then kind of restart up again. It's almost like a, you know, turn your phone on off again. It's um it's important that, that we get that. And, and I do feel more refreshed. So napping is a, is a good thing and actually something that I recommended to, to one of the athletes that I work with on, on a regular basis. But as, as well as that, the other things that we mentioned were the active recovery instruments kit and travel and, and the active recovery as Chris said is quite important because active recovery can be seen in many ways uh, quite rightly as Chris said it, it could be where you have almost a, a deload week and I think at the moment in time when we're in our volume part of training which is effectively now because there are no competitions horizon we can make lots of volume gains physically because we're not able to get into the fencing cell and so right now I think it's important that actually people do make sure they look at how much training they're doing and think about, you know, when you start to make those gains, as Chris said, you know, he's talking about running his 5Ks and actually at the moment in time, you, you just set some what are PBs, right? So now would could be a good time to almost kind of, if the, the time starts to go the other way, actually take a deload week where it's a lot less volume, it's a lot more quality, shorter, sharper sessions. And that kind of active recovery week will would do you really well and super compensate you into the following week. Yeah, absolutely. And what can be really interesting is sometimes when times go up, for example, for a run or you're not feeling as good in your fencing or, so, you know, something isn't feeling right in your training, often it means you need a bit of a break. But what can be really hard to identify is, am I training enough or am I training too much? Am I tired or am I not fit enough? And same with food. You can often wonder whether you're eating too much or too little. 
and it, it can be quite a hard balance to find but often what what you can do is just take notes of kind of what you've been doing i don't i don't mean keeping a permanent diary of everything you've been doing but say on this day i went for that run on that day i did this training and i've been doing that for a while when did i last take a break as you've said you know using logic we can start to interpret when we think we really need to have these little breaks and you can have big gains from them you can really feel a boost yeah completely chris you're right and actually to be honest a training diary is really important and i think many athletes would champion a training diary and you know we've all got a diary in our calendar in our in our phones and, and actually you know, we can note down how many fights we've had or, or, or what we're doing at the moment. And so then you can start to see patterns. And I, I think a lot of people say, well, what is the science behind recovery? Well, there's lots of science behind recovery, but ultimately it does come down to a fencer's experience. It does come down to a little bit of trial and error about knowing how much you need. When you're younger, recovery is important, of course, because as, as Chris said, things like stretching after uh, club sessions when the muscles are really hot, they need to make sure they're cooled down appropriately. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's an important part of, of a young athlete's recovery. And it's a habit that will set them up for the rest of their life. They will also be able to do more volume purely because their body recovers so much faster as you get older. And, and actually, one of the things that um, Richard talks quite a lot is that he does lots and lots and lots of stretching. And actually, he trains probably far less than he did when he was 21, purely because he knows that it's more about qualities. He's got older. His body can't necessarily take as much volume, not because he's not fit enough but because he's got more of a focused session. And when he does those, the quality is really up, but he doesn't necessarily need to put all the load in because purely the amount of experience he has. I just want to jump in with something I saw this week I found really interesting is, do you know Bas for Mylan? I think that's how you say it. The FA fencer, Dutch FA fencer. Bas. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bas, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm just going to refer to him as Bas. I want to get his surname wrong. <laughs> there was a piece on him from the FIE website. I saw this. This week. So I think you know what I'm going to say, yeah, which is that there was a, a quote in there saying when he was a teenager, he fenced three times a day and now he fences probably twice a week. And yeah. it's all about that quality. I mean, it's an interesting one because you can't get to that point where you just fence twice a week and have the really good result without having done the load work Absolutely. at some stage yeah. in your career. But it's interesting, as you said, with Richard, and I'm sure with many other athletes as well, sometimes the less they fence, the better things get, because there's a state of relaxation physically and mentally. It hits the nail on the head and, and it kind of, it really does sum up the idea of how recovery is important throughout an athlete's career. But also as we get older, recovery is key. And so actually doing more quality than, than quantity is, is is quite important. It's something I'm noticing as, as I'm getting older as, as, as an athlete as well. But yeah, so active recovery, deload week, things like that, things like active recovery. One of the things that I find is that when we travel long distances, and, and Chris, you and I both found this when we went to Australia, that was a mammoth travel um, going out to Australia. And that really plays a lot of toll on the body. And actually, we would have done our tapering, which we'll come into next with periodization. But we've done our tapering. We've done all the volume work. We've really got the quality down to a T and we're ready to, to go out there. And so we're, we're looking on, on fine form. And then you travel this way and your body just feels beaten up and, and bruised because of being stuck in a tin can for almost 24 hours. And the first thing that is good to do is to you know get off the plane and go for a run because a light bit of activity can help the body recover much faster than just sitting in a hotel room. I've definitely heard Richard when being interviewed say things like that as well. And actually, uh, you, I mean, we're going to go into periodization in a minute. But when he's landed somewhere just before a competition, you know, for a few days, maybe a week before he won't he won't do any fencing, but he will do you know, he will go for a run, do lots of stretching. And there are lots of athletes uh, beyond fencing who are going 
for longer and longer and longer in their careers. You know, like Ryan Giggs, I think, played premiership football and won titles until he was 40. Yeah. Uh, and lots of other players do as well. And, you know, tennis players, and they all attribute that to yoga, but stretching, but understanding their body and understanding training better than they, they did. You know, there's a there's a professional footballer in Japan. He plays in the second division. He's professional. Mm-hmm. He, so he's paid. Yeah. And I think he's 51. He's a striker. Wow. That's amazing. And he, he's just had his contract renewed as well. You know, I mean, that, that kind of thing, I think, is unheard of in any professional league. You get player managers sometimes in, you know, much lower divisions in England, but there can only really be one one of two reasons for that. Either he's a freak of nature and he's amazing or he's... Yeah, but you have that example in Men's Sabre. You have the Olympic champion Montano from Italy. He won the Olympic gold medal individually in Athens, I believe. And he was fencing in London and, and I think around his 40th birthday, I believe. And so this guy's into his 40s and he, you know, he's a decorated athlete. But again, he's focusing on his recovery. He's making sure that actually his body keeps going and pushing into those slightly more twilight years because he's looking after himself. Not only is he doing the physical training, not only is he doing the sparring, but he's also actively looking after the recovery aspect from the training because when your body doesn't recover as fast you need to be able to do the things that will help it recover faster and we spoke about long distance travel and and going for light runs and 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 actually doing things rather than just going well i'm tired because i've got off a plane i'm just gonna you know sit in a hotel room don't go out get some fresh air go for a walk go for a run do some stretching in the park because all those things are considered active recovery to bounce back from long travel and i mentioned kit you know when i travel long periods of time I wear my compression leggings. I'm sure those that follow me on social media know that I'm, I'm sponsored by Chimera, who are a undergarment-based company. They use this technology, infrared technology, within the weave of their kit to help your body recover faster. And so not only do I train with the kit, I also use it for active recovery as well. And I use their leggings when I fly because they have a compression element to them, which means that the legs feel a little less tired when getting off a plane but also sleeping in them after big sessions because, again, that compression factor, you know, it really helps simulate the blood flow and the recovery to, to the leg. That's really interesting. I don't have any Chimera kit, but I have definitely looked at getting some Chimera kit for when my compression gear finally dies a death and needs to be replaced. But I do find that when I'm training with compression gear on, I do feel better you know, later on that next day. So it obviously works. I, I don't know lots of the science behind it, but definitely you know, championing the use of those things. I, again, I've never myself worn them for recovery so i've never slept in it or, or kind of you know worn it on a plane or anything but i know other people that have and they all say you know it works wonders actually i think the other person was one of your pupils who got the idea from you yeah uh, might have been, might have been. <laughs> i know i know i know marcus is a big fan you know he, he, he's got a lot of compression based stuff and you know it's been very very good and it's obviously good to both training but also for recovery as well and i might stress that i, I only tend to wear these after really big volume blocks rather than and, and, and international travel rather than every single night i'm not not getting into bed you know every single night looking like a swimmer they, you know they, they are good pieces of kit when that list that i mentioned earlier on this kind of brings us on to instruments which sounds a bit torturous and horrible but we touched on it a few episodes ago with with the idea of foam rollers and things like the peanut which is kind of two tennis balls like kind of take together for your lower back and things like that and even just massage balls for your foot and things like that one of the things that i I found recently with my physio which was really cool and actually that you can now buy them online although I, i certainly wouldn't because i don't i don't know the science behind it or how to use it but like this scraper thing it looks like a, a blade but it's not sharp i had a small forearm injury and they rub this what is a dull blade up and down your arm and it, it's meant to break down some of the rubbish that kind of gets into the muscles and, and help stimulate new blood flow and things like that but it was a, it was a really good piece of kit and so you know 
going to physios and things like that and talking to them about recovery or if you can't see a physio because you don't have one near you or you don't have access to one, do the research. You know, there's loads of foam rollers out there that you can kind of get your hands on and they're really cheap now. And, and you can get your hands on massage balls, you know, the trigger point balls. And, you know, there are lots of books out there on, on the understanding of massage and doing self-massage and seeing where things are tight because when you get fatigue, you get tightness, you get muscle soreness and actually trying to release those off is really important so that you can feel better and more recovered for your next session. Something you haven't mentioned, but we've mentioned before, are spiky balls. I've actually got a set of three with different tensions. Not that I use the different tensions. <laughs> I just put one under each foot and say go. But that, golf you know, balls are the same thing. Golf, golf balls are Yeah, golf balls. Golf balls are brilliant. But also, talking of foam rollers, I've got one in London and I've got one here. The one I've got here is useful to have. I'm, I'm glad to have it. But the one in London is my proper kind of spiky you know, okay. hollow inside, like horrible grooves on it, really kind of works into everything. The one here is basically just a round cylinder okay, <laughs> that, yeah, I, yeah. that I can feel doesn't do the same thing anymore. They're really handy to have. And, you know, I thought I was hitting all my markers and I was like, oh, well, I, I don't do, you know, I, I don't do that muscle group, but it's okay. It can't be that important. And then I looked online and saw somebody doing a half hour foam roll, you know, compression and stretch. And I thought, man, I, I need to be working so much harder at this because there are so many gains and releases to be made and in, in all of that to, that you, you feel so good for it you sleep so much better you you feel loose you feel like a bit like you know when you've got new shoes new trainers and you're kind of walking on clouds <laughs> yeah and it's good for the mental stimulation as well it, it helps you kind of decompress after a session too and even those big elastic power bands you know getting those wrapping around those things and using that as a bit of resistance to go into the stretch even deeper they're particularly good as you say you not only get a physiological benefit chris as you said you get the, the mental kind of relaxation and and, and de-stimulation of that yeah i just want to jump in here and say have you seen um casa de babel which is money heist in english on netflix Oh, no, I think Lucy's watched it. I haven't seen it myself. Oh, it's so good. There's a character in it called The Professor. And whenever he needs kind of some mental stimulation, he's a mastermind behind all this stuff. When he needs mental stimulation, he goes to the punch bag and just starts boxing for half an hour. And it kind of it gets the juices flowing, gets more ideas. I don't know how much science there is behind that, but I could believe it. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, look, any, any form of exercise is great mentally. And, you know, I think people don't understand cooling down and the idea of recovery because it feels like an extra thing to do. And I know that um, both Pavel and Dom at, at the club work very hard with the, the, the kids from a very early age, getting them to kind of have that habitual approach to training of recovery is just part of it. The same way you would take a lesson, the same way that you would, you know, make sure you wear your underplaster on when you're fencing, it all becomes just part of it. And when those, those good habits are, are put in, from an early age then it becomes something second nature but it doesn't mean that people can't start implementing this now i mean chris you and i both uh, train at saxon on a thursday i take uh, you know we have our lesson together and actually i, I also take my lesson from graham my, my other coach and graham has always got these little instruments of, of of recovery that he brings in these huge mace like kind of foam rollers and a lot of people say oh it really hurts it really hurts well, it does hurt but you do actually become desensitized to it over time and uh, going back to last week's episode, you can actually use foam rollers for activation as well to stimulate blood flow to certain muscle groups too. So they are part of any any fencer's kit now, really. And, and I think the one thing that always impresses me about Chris is that irrespective of the time and how much we're being told to get out of the hall by the janitor, he's always there making sure he's doing his, his stretching. And, and that's very hard for athletes that are club-based fencers because in the evening there's not a lot of time. But I would say that actually it would benefit somebody far more to go to a club session, do a really good activation, warm-up, dynamic stretching session like we spoke about, and then actually maybe stop 20, 30 minutes early and do a really good recovery because these things will benefit you in the long run and give you performance gains to keep 
training at a high level and actually be at your best at competition. Yeah, and nobody ever said, man, I wish I hadn't warmed up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I wish yeah, I hadn't yeah. warmed up. Ah, oh, oh, I wish I hadn't cooled down. Damn, that really screwed me up. <laughs> it's, a perfect, it's a perfect excuse. Everyone goes, oh, you know, you got me when I was cold. Well, you shouldn't be cold. Get warm, get warm. And, yeah. and actually, when people get home after a, a, a long club uh, session in the evening, they often find that, you know, they're, they're wired. They're quite awake and, you know, they, 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 they can't get to sleep. And the idea of just starting that whole that whole recovery process, which goes from finishing on the piece to starting your cool down. And, and do you know what? Like, actually, I know, Chris, you uh, you do this as well. And actually, one of my other students, uh, John, does the same thing. Not only is there a little bit of stretching down the club, but when you get home and you're eating and you're, you're decompressing, that's a time when you probably do a little bit more stretching. And, you know, for me personally, some of the things that I do when I get back is that's when I do some of my mindfulness as well, because it just helps bring the mind down, decompress a little bit to actually help you sleep better, which is all part of making sure you're fully recovered for the next day because sleep is massively important. In fact, so much so I remember at one time I was going to bed with not only my uh, my leggings on, an eye patch as well, because I was trying to block out all the light. And I was even trying these nasal strips to help me breathe better at, uh, at, at night. So I was going to bed looking like a strange pirate. But actually, you know what? It really helped, you know, blocking out light, made sure I was in deeper sleep. I wasn't getting woken up so early. Nasal strips would help me breathe better. And then obviously the compression leggings as well. I hate that. And I don't do that all the time now, but in extreme, extreme volume blocks of training, it has been known to happen. Yeah, well, these are all sleep aids. They're essential. Really, we really need them. And actually, you mentioned kind of after training in the evening, you know, I, on my drive home after training, I am buzzing. And I get home and I could, you know, I could do six hours of work on the computer. And actually, mm. sometimes I I do kind of go down that rabbit hole where, where I've just got this thing to do quickly. And I'm so productive. But by the time you get home and you've had some food, it's kind of 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I have to stop myself from doing too much because otherwise I won't fall asleep until one o'clock. That can be very hard. And, you know, you talk about training aids and sleeping aids and they, these things are all really useful. You know, an eye mask, earplugs nasal strips there's a reason we kind of use these on flights uh if we'll ever fly again you know you (laughs) (laughs) personally i don't i I tend to sleep quite well on a flight but i've got my system worked out for me now you know i kind of go on in relaxed go i don't wear compression stuff but you know tracksuit bottoms and a hoodie and then if it's a a, you know a long flight an overnight where there's kind of sleep involved i've got those uniqlo light coats that kind of pack down oh they're like a cylinder They're they're so good i use that as a neck pillow you know hood up noise cancelling headphones on with an eye mask and i'm out of it i you know i can I, I can't nap anywhere but i find that on flights i'm okay and i you know i think like all of these things state of mind is really important but if you need something to help you be in a more relaxed state use whatever you need and i think the, the same applies to training aids or sleep aids or or anything you know if if you feel like in order to do more stretching you need to have a yoga mat then get a yoga mat. You know, if the, if the floor's hurting your back or something, then do all this stuff. Just, you you know, you should use whatever's... Now we've got more time at home, like you're saying, we, we can do all of this kind of stuff. And actually, you know, go on Amazon. We've all got a bit more time now to kind of explore Amazon and all the things it's got and look at buying some of these things. Yoga mats are perfect. Uh, we, we've got two here and it, they are really good for actually getting a bit of grip as well because sometimes stretching on the floor can be uncomfortable, but also sometimes you can lose grip, you know, if you're on a shiny surface or whatever, so they're really good. But I, I'm sure Chris won't mind me telling you quite a funny story about him in terms of his uh he's just mentioned that he uh he sleeps very well on planes um but when we were out on our way to the commonwealth um when he he landed we were all in sydney together doing a, a a training camp beforehand and um chris grabbed one thing that was essential to his sleeping arrangement on the flight on the way over which was his neck pillow so he, he grabbed his neck pillow and um when he was, felt himself 
felt slightly uh, tired on the flight, ready to get in his recovery for, you know, this long flight and making sure he got his, his sleep. He, he whipped out his neck pillow and he started blowing this up. Now, in the process of blowing this up, it kept getting bigger and, and bigger and, and, and bigger and bigger. And he was suddenly like, what the, what did I pick up at home? So it turned out that Chris had actually picked up his wife's pillow that she wrapped around her midriff in order to uh, breastfeed their young daughter at the time. So this is a massive pillow that goes around someone's midriff, right? This is almost half. It's so brick. big. <laughs> and, and I just have this lovely image of Chris slowly blowing up, which looks like a massive donut in the middle of a flight. It just tickled me so much. And I couldn't stop laughing when you told me that story. <laughs> do you know, I wish I could say it was a mistake. What actually happened is I didn't have a neck pillow and I thought that would do the trick. <laughs> so I, didn't realize, I didn't really realize how big it was. And the funny thing is as well, you know, it's kind of white or, you know, like cream colored covered in like gray stars. So Amazing. <laughs> It looks quite babyish, and I couldn't believe it. The kind of bigger it got, it it went beyond my seat. It kind of, I, I just it just kept going, and I was like, well, this isn't going to do the trick yet. And then it kind of overspilled into the uh, the seat next to me, and the person's elbow was pushing up against it. I was just like, no I can't, I, I can't do this. I've got to deflate it. I, I didn't even deflate it. I kind of I just shoved it down and pretended it didn't exist, and hope hoping hope that oh, nobody had really seen me. Oh man. I thought, it was, I thought it was brilliant. But actually, after that little anecdote, that, that kind of sums up recovery. Get, get your recovery right in as many different ways as you can because it is important to performance. But actually, that brings us quite nicely on to, to periodization. Chris, what, what's, what's periodization to you? So periodization is peaking at certain times, targeting your training uh, and knowing what you're looking for. So it's not possible necessarily to be on peak 12 months of the year. That's why we have summer off. That's why the season is structured as it is. That's why the Olympics are at the end of a, of a season in a four-year cycle. And same with World Championships and European Championships, which obviously I've never been to. All in but... good time. <laughs> in satellites are at the beginning of the season, you know, the kind of FIE speaking, they're kind of least important. You know, they're kind of a way for people to kind of build up into the World Cup season. So it's all about highs and lows, you know, peaks and troughs, I, I believe, in, in your training and, and targeting performance. Do you agree with that? No, absolutely, Chris. Hit nail on the head again. I think the periodization is kind of the understanding of, of what key aspects you want to get into your training block before you want to hit a major competition and peak for that. And there'll be some competitions when you don't want to peak. Um, some people use competitions as warm-ups, um, and that, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. I think the most important thing about kind of periodization is kind of knowing what your goals are first i always do a kind of work back strategy so you know when you have a world champs or commonwealth or olympic games or european champs or whatever a major event that you kind of want to peak at then you you, you kind of have that date in the diary and you work backwards from that you know we, we look at a kind of six to eight week cycle or certainly i do anyway people kind of wonder how, how i know that and, and honestly it's just down to trial and error i i know when i peak based on a certain amount of time just purely because of trial and error and so my, mine is a kind of six to eight week uh, cycle and obviously you want to kind of get your, your volume in before that and so that's kind of the six six weeks is, is a real good block of kind of, of technical training I would say before that you probably want to get in a, a few weeks of, of a good physical block as well and, and then be looking to, to maintain that so at the moment in time this is why I'm working very hard on my physical training and then you know hopefully I can return and then do a good kind of six to eight week block leading up to any major event that I'm kind of looking at. So I, I work backwards from that. So that obviously includes, you, you, you know, your technical training and like I spoke about your physical training, even things like your psychology and, and things like that. So they're all really important. How do you find competitions actually fit into your kind of training blocks and your training cycles? Because the level I'm fencing at, which is high national, you know, with uh, satellites in there as well, this isn't 
always possible. In the UK, competitions are scheduled whenever clubs and, and organisers can fit them into a uh, into a calendar. This season is I had, I think, kind of six tournaments in eight weeks or something that were all quite important. And then practically nothing until March. And actually the week before that competition was due to take place, when there were going to be three and four weeks, uh, again, all quite important, uh, everything was cancelled. But you know, I had that block of three or four months where effectively I didn't have a competition. And that's really hard sometimes to keep training for. I did, do you have that at world level or do you find that they've structured the competitions in a way that supports peaking and periodization? Yeah, it's tricky. And you're right. I would say the lower down the levels you go, it's about fitting the competitions in as and where they, they can be. At international, high international level, you tend to find that the competitions are better structured. But I wouldn't say it always necessarily favours the athlete. I think it's really important to kind of look at the block that you're, you know, you certainly mentioned the satellite block. And I think a lot of high level national fences that our, our listeners will understand that actually that is quite a brutal block and that you need to obviously do all of your kind of training up until that point we talk often about tapering and for me again tapering can be quite individual i tend to find that if i have a, for the week before a competition it's kind of train hard or so for example if it's a world cup it's going to be friday saturday sunday i'm competing um so therefore i'm traveling thursday so wednesday becomes packing day and a day where i'm getting all of the final bits and bobs together before i travel so Tuesday would kind of be like my real just quality day where I'm just probably just taking a lesson, doing a lot of stretching, getting the food right, all that kind of stuff. So again, obviously some stimulation in there, having a short lesson, maybe like recovery run and some stretching because I'm, I'm still working out. I'm not losing kind of touch with the game, but uh, and I'm still being stimulated, but nowhere near in high volumes. Whereas and Monday would obviously be a, a, a quite a normal session. So that's what kind of like a World Cup week would look, look, look like for me. And I know that some athletes, certainly Richard at times, has to take longer than that. So what he does, he actually trains on the Sunday and then takes a day earlier. So it becomes everything becomes shifted back slightly. So again, you have to know what's right for you and, and how that kind of looks. But when you're going into a big, heavy block of competition, you, you almost want to bounce from one competition to the next. And, and, and when you're when you're traveling back from a competition, that in, in itself takes a lot out of you you know i know that if i've had kind of friday saturday sunday competing at a world cup and say there's only one weekend between the time i've got i'm flying back on the monday probably take the tuesday off to completely recover from everything that went into the into the week itself then probably do a light session on wednesday heavier thursday friday the weekend off and then again it's the week before a competition so again i, I would go through that kind of process in the week that i just explained so you you then get good at what will become a routine and so, again, working back, if you've got a particularly heavy block where some of the satellites are weekend after weekend, it's almost like travel out, compete, maybe Saturday, coming back on the Sunday. And again, probably no training on the Monday, little light session on the Tuesday, Wednesday off then, you know, or even if you're not traveling until a Friday. So, again, you just try and look at when each date is and work back from that. And then put in what is a deload day, kind of stimulation day, but not overly uh, heavy training. And one day of just completely getting your head out of the game, bit of packing, um, sitting in front of Netflix, chilling out, you know, getting prepared mechanically for everything that kind of goes into that. And if you've had a heavy block of three or four competitions on the bounce, you may actually need to take a little bit more as you get deeper into the season. Rory McIlroy had a, a saying, I, I don't know if it was his saying actually, but I think it was his saying, well, I heard that he said this anyway, is that kind of, when he takes the glove off, when he takes the golfing glove off, the glove is off and he's not thinking about golfing. And that, you know, what you were just talking about, you know, kind of chilling with friends, Netflix, um, you know, having time with your head out of the game is really important because it's very easy for it to be all consuming. It's all you think about. And that's not necessarily was a good thing. You need a break. 
and a cognitive break from all of this stuff. So I, I just wanted to jump in and say I think that's quite interesting because I've found that in the past as well. And it's obviously it's been something I've thought of as well. So sometimes, you know, depending on kind of how busy I am or kind of what's going on or, you know, it's important to recognise that there are things outside of the game. When I'm home, that's it. My training, my training sometimes is done. And I can just fully engage with my family, you know, my wife and my daughter or, or just kind of sitting and, and watching something or painting on the table. And that can be really quite energising. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And you do need that mental recovery as well. Jemek, who is Rich's coach, always says you want to go in hungry to pick up a foil. And, and it's very true. You know, you don't want to go out there thinking, oh, my God, I've got to do this again. So that that's the kind of mental rust you can, you can get there. So I think it's really important to understand that it's both the physiological recovery as well as the psychological recovery. Uh, and yeah, so the idea of periodization is, is doing what works for you. You can play with things, but obviously bear in mind that the deeper you get into season, you know, it's like taking energy out of a tank. And even though you do your recovery and you refill that tank, you will never refill it to 100%. And so over the course of the season, you need to understand there will be depletions that happen that you can't top back up again. And so those recovery days become potentially more and, and needed in greater depth. So look at the look at where you want to peak throughout the season and work backwards from there. See where you want your recovery days. See where you want your volume training and see where you want your more quality-based training as well. And, and and when you've worked back, you suddenly find that where you are now and what you've got to do. And for some people, it can be six to eight weeks. For other people, it might be five to seven. But for other people, it could be as much as 10 weeks. You just have to know yourself with a, a bit of trial and error, unfortunately, sometimes. But you can go on guidance from your coach about their experience what they've seen in, in Africa. yeah and so I'm just going to go in with my own periodization as well so as you've said I spend four days a week and then when there's a competition I'll, t- I'll take one of those sessions out so that I'll have a, an extra rest day or on that rest day I'll go for a run instead you know not not very far just 5k but just to kind of keep keep the blood moving keep things active but without really kidding myself or hurting fencing in a way that might happen and also you know one session before a competition one extra session isn't really going to make a difference but being more relaxed I, I think probably will really help obviously we're only talking about fencing at the moment but you know in pre-season you know in those six to eight weeks in pre-season over the summer uh, or when you've got a block where you can target a competition I would do heavy lifting and so you probably do heavy lifting work uh, and I'm talking about the really heavy deadlifts, squats, leg press, et cetera, et cetera, you know, three times a week. What I've always been a bit rusty about is how that heavy work fits into the rest of the season. Does that heavy work kind of stay with you? Do, you know, the gains that you've made in that season, does, it, does that stay with you for kind of six months to a year without necessarily continuing to do it? Or is it something that you've just got to find for yourself? If you've done six weeks of, of really heavy lifting and then you've got six weeks of competitions, you know, four yeah. competitions in six weeks or three competitions in six weeks where you don't want to overload the body, do you cut out that heavy lifting and replace it with something else or do you just give it a break? Or yeah. is this just... Is this something you do? It's rough and it can be really frustrating sometimes. I agree completely. That is that is one of the things you have to kind of work out. And I suppose for me, you know, you can go from lifting three to four times a week and managing fencing your volume block or certainly lessons. And then as you kind of get deeper into fencing, it becomes slightly less and less. And then, you know, right up until competition, you know, the week before a competition, I don't lift, you know, but you, you can do kind of more speed agility based stuff, more like band explosivity. Um, with the power bands those kind of stuff to still give you that kind of nervous system hit but you're right Chris you do find that after a major volume block it starts to kind of by the end of the season drop off again that's why it's important in those breaks in the season before St Petersburg there's, there's quite a nice kind of month and a bit gap there and that's when not only can you take a kind of week's rest but then actually can you build back up on a bit of volume because even though 
uh, you've done all your volume work, you may need to kind of top that up for what you may have lost be because you're in a kind of heavy fencing block, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really good to know. And also, I think it's part of that worth understanding your own training, but also understanding that sometimes as part of this, you will feel like crap. You yeah. will feel like your fencing isn't going so well. But there's a reason for that. There's change under, you know, the, your, your body is changing and adapting. And a bit a bit like when, you know, a 14-year-old is much taller than everyone else or much shorter and then suddenly growing and their distance is changing. You know, they might struggle a bit because their distance is changing. They don't, they're not really sure where their point is all the time. And, you know, we have the same thing. We're not necessarily growing anymore. Getting stronger or fitter or more explosive. And, and all these things are kind of moving variables and understanding that sometimes your fencing will feel like crap but you know there's always an end to that barrier so you just have to make sure to push through it because you'll come out the other end so much happier the number of times i've been through that and it feels awful it really feels like you want to quit and i remember actually i remember calling dom a coach at, at your club this was years ago i think this was after the bristol open before they brought it back and i just had one of the worst performances in my life i felt so down uh we, you know we had a good chat and she said you know i've been there just just keep going you'll be through it soon and you'll you'll never look back and it's so true um, and i'm sure you you felt like that as well because sometimes you can feel like you're on a real high and uh you know when you're fencing and everything's really clicking and going well that's what we do it for those moments of gold dust and then there are yeah. other times when we're just chasing everything it feels like we can't hit a barn door no i agree and actually you know what that you're right that the idea of super compensation about kind of working until it's almost not working anymore and, and, and then taking a break and then seeing seeing the effects come back so yeah no completely i, I think that it, and, and people are probably wondering well how, how does this apply right now how can we do this in lockdown well you know what you can do a season's review you can go back and look at all the competitions you've competed at where were your your performances you know where were the ones that you really peaked at and actually was there anything in your training that you did or any blocks of training that you think helped towards that kind of peak and and if you if you don't if you haven't actually got any of that data to look at then you know start a training diary now why not you're in lockdown go and buy a diary and and actually start noting down kind of what you're doing every day and how you're feeling as well i think it's really important one of the things i'm doing one of my the athletes i work with at the moment is the idea of kind of measurement of how you feel on a daily basis daily kind of checking in how did i feel after today's session how is it looking and you know, you'll see trends not throughout the week, but, you know, throughout the month of, of how you're feeling at certain points. And and so using this information right now is, is actually a great weapon to kind of throw you into the next part of the season when things do arrive about how you can kind of best set yourself up. And, and we hope that this podcast is giving the information people need, not only to kind of understand what's going on in lockdown right now, but also what can be done to aid you uh, you can do right now that's going to help you when we come out of this and i suppose right now with the idea of periodization and recovery a with recovery get online buy some stuff buy some stuff off of amazon and actually set up a whole a whole recovery routine look at some books on on stretching look at some books on on you know even things like ice bathing you know things like that look at everything to do with what is considered recovery and actually build a recovery routine into your training at the moment am i doing my cooling down my phone rolling am i sleeping well enough? am i not sleeping well enough at night how can i change that so all these things you can be doing right now in lockdown and and actually with the periodization how can i look at having a plan that looks like a good build-up to a competition almost write a, a kind of like phantom season what a great season would look like what competitions you want to hit and how much time you think you need between each competition to prepare in the right way. You can do all of this now, sitting in the living room, on a laptop, with a piece of paper and a pen, even looking back at fights of the, uh, uh, that you've done before and where the good fights were, where the bad fights were, and, and, and start to reflect a little bit because that will really help.
that's really good advice, especially the idea of a training program, looking ahead and creating a training program to try and hit those targets and make that possible. And I think this leads quite nicely into uh, the Ask Us Anything section, where we have a question from Nick Payne, who is an ex-GB foilist. He is, yeah. Yeah, uh, fencing at the highest level, uh, and is now coach at Epsom Fencing Club and a director at his fencing-based corporate team-building company called Sword Fighting International. So his question is, mental training is being used a lot more now for high-level athletes. How might it be different for lower levels, for example, county or national fencers, who have less experience of different opponents? And how do you visualise an upcoming fight against an opponent you've lost yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I, I Actually, I've just worked with Nick recently. We did a really good um, train with Team GB day, actually. And Nick is, is so insightful and has got so much experience under his belt. But this is a great question. And I think that there is a lot of mental training that goes into high-level athletes. But I think that young fencers or, or even less experienced fencers or, or, or slightly lower tiers, you know, kind of county-level fencers, they can still look at doing some kind of mental training, some kind of psychological skill-based training. And, and actually, one of the things that I, I saw recently was um, some eye-tracking-based stuff that looked really great you know because some problem solving based stuff and that's something that kind of high level athletes would use but actually it doesn't need to be that in depth for for fences because a you know these things can be costly um and, and b they're very time consuming when fences at a young age or, or at lower levels are actually trying to still learn the fundamentals of, of, of training and so um i i think it's important that good quality habits are delivered to the these athletes and and also as a as a coach like nick is to help mentor these young athletes to not be scared to use trial and error not be scared to experiment different things go to competitions and try different routines because actually the biggest thing that you worry about is going to a routine and getting it wrong but actually going to a competition and getting it wrong when you're younger or a lower level is great because when you get it wrong you get experience and then you can start to change things adapt things to how it will suit you and so i think that that was one of the the, the biggest things that's come for me as a senior athlete it's still trying to keep that learning mindset actually it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to go through those kind of like ups and downs because that's how you learn and actually setting yourself up for for a competition some of it might work some of it might not work and that's great next time change it and, and, and adapt it and the idea of if you lost to an opponent before don't see drawing that opponent again as a threat see it as an opportunity and i think that's that's really what he's talking about here is, is how can they look mentally at a situation like that well if you draw somebody again it's okay if you lost them before you know, give yourself goals and challenges. You know, I, I remember James Davis, who, who's a world-class fencer. He's, he's based in San Francisco. I used to draw him at the Leon Paul Junior Series all the time. I used to meet him in the final all the time. And I've got about 36 silver medals from, from losing to James, every single one. But I tried to go into every fight thinking, all right, what can I do differently from what I did last time? And see it as an opportunity to learn, see an opportunity to gain experience. And actually, over time, as you gain all those experiences, you will start to find that you'll convert those into wins. But the, the learning mindset, the seeing things as an opportunity rather than a threat is a great mindset to have for a younger or slightly lower level fencer that still needs to gain all of that experience. Chris, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think seeing things as an opportunity is a really great phrase. I don't think enough fencers see fencing and bouts and fencing itself as an opportunity to score hits you know by working you create opportunities and drawing somebody you've you've had before you may have won you may have lost can easily influence that but i i saw a quote not too long ago that said the best fences have the shortest memory because the best way to to continue winning is to absolutely forget about what happened last you might have won gold at world cup 
you might have come last at a domestic event. It has no bearing on it because each match is a fresh opportunity to do something. And as you say, a fresh opportunity uh, against an opponent you've met before to try something new, to have a plan. I, I don't think enough fences have a plan when they go into uh, about and know what they're, trying to, what they're trying to do, what moments they're trying to exploit and what they're really trying to put down on the piece. And that, I, I think... It's just you've said it all. It's such a such a good way forward. I actually love the phrase: uh, "The harder I train, the luckier I get." It's kind of a, a real part on the or a real take on the idea that actually, you know what, just doing it repeatedly to the best of your ability actually makes you luckier. It does make you luckier. It is all a a product of the efforts and the training and the experience that you get. Yeah, and Muhammad Ali, who's a great champion boxer, uh, I think had a quote that said, "I hated every second of training, but I told myself." Work hard now and live the rest of your life as a champion, and I love yep. that. I think it's so cool. That's true. That's true. You uh, there, there's another good one. These are these are all based at the at the centre as well. There's a, there's another one that I really like that says uh, something like um, "Train today, unknown, finish tomorrow." As no, I can't remember, but it's basically trying to say that actually, you know what, you know, maybe maybe nobody knows you now, but actually, the harder you train, actually, tomorrow might be the day that you arrive, and and that's that's it. That's the idea of that kind of opportunist moment that people work for it's the idea of really you know put the graft in now because one day it'll all be worth it yeah definitely and there was just while we're having a bit of a quote fest i saw one at my gym that said i may not be there yet but i'm closer than i was yesterday and i oh, really yeah, like this is great yeah yeah gradual you know gradual i'm I, I i'm not there yet but i'm a step closer and that that's what counts i've made i've moved forwards in some way chipping away absolutely well it was a great question from nick and i really enjoyed that as well so um i think that kind of leads us very nicely to the to the end of this episode and next week's uh podcast episode is going to be on nutrition and fuel we know we've covered that in in kind of various ways but uh we'll go into it in a bit more detail especially with me as a uh as a good carnivore and, and, and Chris is a vegan. So we'll have, I'm sure, lots of opposing ideas there, but it'd be great to debate. Yeah, it'll be some good battles, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, remember to subscribe, review and contact us. Subscribe and review and even listen to us on uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and Transistor as well. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure to get in touch and listen wherever you do that best. We have our Twitter page as well where you can send in questions. Ben, what's our what's our Twitter handle? The Twitter handle is at Fenced In Podcast. Please send us emails on that. Send your questions in. We're loving the amount coming in. Uh, really, really enjoyable. And it's uh, it certainly makes us really think. Absolutely. And tag us in anything that you're doing as well. We'll retweet it. That would be great. We'd love to see what people are doing at home, especially as it looks like this might be going on for a bit longer than what we all imagined. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Chris um, is the brainchild of this great podcast that we're really both enjoying. And actually, he is the tech man. He's the man behind all of this. So when it comes to all of the stuff that the platform is this is on, I can wholeheartedly thank Chris because he is uh, Mr. Tech Man, as I call him. But actually, uh, his other alias is... Uh, Chris, what, what's what's the name of your other alias? Uh, well, that, I just want to say quickly, it's very kind of you to say, but you're the social man. I I hide in the hole and, and do the tech bits and you're out and about shouting about it. So yeah, I have a digital agency called J4G Design where I do graphic design, design logos, template work. But very importantly, I build websites for for e-commerce and static websites as well. Uh, and actually some of the, the more notable ones that I've done recently are the new All Star Room in UK website, uh, Sword Fighting International for Nick Payne actually as well. And those are the fencing based ones, but there's loads of work you can see on my site, which is www.j4gdesign.co.uk forward slash work. So make sure to have a look there. And if you're interested, get in touch.
And you know what? If you absolutely hate the podcast, but you want a new website, there you go. You've still learned something. You've still enjoyed it. So, uh, but thanks so much for guys for listening and we will see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. The Fenced In podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital, websites, graphic design, and technical support.